0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben, and this is episode 53 of the Lean Blog Podcast for November 19th, 2008. Our guest today is Patrick Anderson, the executive director of Chigachmute, which is an organization in Alaska that serves native tribal regions. With a number of services, including uh, primary health care, I met Patrick at a Productivity Inc. conference and was really impressed uh, with what Chagashmute was doing with the combination of both Lean and Dr. Deming principles uh, to improve their management system. They've been working with Lean for a number of years, and I hope that you'll enjoy hearing about their story. This is just part one of what will be a two-part discussion, so I hope you'll check back uh, for this and other future podcasts. Well, again, our guest today is Patrick Anderson. Thank you for joining us on the Lean Blog Podcast.
1: Uh, It's wonderful to be able to share our story with you, Mark.
0: Yeah, and thank you for taking the time to do so. Um, I was wondering if you could start off. um, You're you're speaking to us from Alaska. If you could um, tell us about the Chagashmute organization and who it is that you serve.
1: I certainly can. Um, We're headquartered in Anchorage, and as I look out my window, it's... uh, kind of uh, not very uh, typical October day, Uh, daylight out, but it gets dark uh, fairly quickly, usually around uh, 3, 34 o'clock, temperatures down somewhere around uh, 23, 24, 25, and not much snow on the ground, surprisingly. Um, But uh, Chugachmute is headquartered in Anchorage, but we serve a uh, a region of about uh, 10 million acres in size. Uh, that covers seven villages throughout uh, south-central Alaska. Uh, two villages are actually in Prince William Sound. That, uh, Mark, as you may know, was the site of the uh, Exxon Valdez grounding and oil spill back in 1989. Uh, on the other side, uh, near the Copper River, is our, our village of uh, Eak, which is a part of our community of Cordova. Then, of course, Valdez uh, and Seward are... Um, uh, are on the uh, surrounding uh, coastline of Prince William Sound. And then we have two villages in lower Cook Inlet, uh, kind of at the bottom of the uh, Kenai Peninsula, Port Graham and Nanwalik So um, we, we actually operate uh, clinics in five of those communities and, and uh, support uh, two of the other communities with funding.
0: And and, and so within the organization, uh, what, what kind of healthcare services do you provide? Pretty much the whole range or...?
1: Um, Not the whole range. The uh, Indian Health Service, in trying to figure out how to provide health services for very small Alaska Native communities, uh, came up with the idea of the community health aid. Uh, There are about 230 small villages uh, that are predominantly Alaska Native in in the state. Uh, Some of them are very small. Uh, Our smallest community has about 55-year-round residents and may grow a little bit in the summertime. Uh, But they're also about uh, 25, 30 minutes away by twin-engined airplane from Anchorage. And there are some days where you can't get into that village uh, by any means uh, because of of potentially hurricane-force winds for up to 10 days. So each community has uh, uh, practitioners who are trained according to a specific methodology, and in essence, they practice medicine. Uh, they don't practice medicine. What they do is uh, they have a manual that they're trained to do patient assessments with, and then they get into electronic communication uh, with a healthcare care provider, either a mid-level practitioner, a physician's assistant, or an advanced nurse practitioner uh, or a physician for the mo- most uh, for the more difficult cases. So Chugachmute's four villages are served by community health aides. Uh, they're they're trained in emergency health procedures and and they're actually trained in certain medical procedures and can be authorized by the physician to provide those services without calling in. But most. Most often they serve as the eyes and ears of the physician and their diagnoses and and treatment prescriptions are uh, provided by the mid-level practitioners or the MD. Uh, And then we do provide primary care and we have a physician and uh, two mid-level positions in uh, Seward that, that provide some of that support. If we have more difficult cases, then uh, we rely on the Alaska Native Medical uh, System, the the hospital in Anchorage, which is our primary care hospital, and the South Central Foundation's primary care center, which is where uh, uh, a lot of our health aides call doctors. So uh, we are a primary acute care uh, system, but we do have to uh, take patients out of our villages to actually visit with doctors.
0: Mm, Okay. And how is it um, that you came to start using Lean Principles in, in the delivery of, of health care? I'm, I'm curious if you could tell our listeners how that originated.
1: I certainly can, and it's a bit of a serendipitous journey. Uh, I spent a number of years teaching at the University of Alaska Southeast, which is located in Juneau, Alaska. And two of the courses that I taught, even though I'm a law science faculty member down there, uh, back at that time, were uh, an introduction to business course and an international business course. And during that period of time, um, I became quite familiar with with the principles that Dr. W. Edwards Deming formulated. And in fact, I had an opportunity to visit uh, a high school um, in Sitka that had implemented a curriculum based on so- some of Dr. Deming's uh, principles when I left the uh, university in, in 1991, um, I filed some of that information away as I practiced law for a period of time. And then when I came to Chugachmute, I was uh, all of a sudden managing an organization uh, with about $10.5 million in, in funding and about 60 employees. Uh, and I have to uh, confess, based on my past business experience, it was not a well-run organization. Uh, I had served at that point in time for about 15 years um, as a board member for Sea Alaska Corporation, which is a native corporation for Southeast Alaska that I'm a, a shareholder of. And um, in that service, I sat on the board of a... a um, Partnership that Sea Alaska had with a company called Nipro Precision Plastics. Um, in May of the first uh, full year I was serving as executive director of Chugachmute, uh, I was attending a board meeting of of Nipro and and Sea Alaska's uh, plastics plants in Clinton, Massachusetts. And the president of that company, Brian Jones, um, happened to come in and and have lunch with uh, with three of us. For about 30 minutes, he was explaining to us NIPRO's high-velocity system and how it enabled NIPRO to compete in a uh, post-NAFTA environment, uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement, when a lot of uh, plastics um, molding was going offshore. Well, it turned out that the high-velocity system was based on the Toyota production system And uh, as Brian was explaining it to us, and as I had seen in the plastics plants that uh, NIPRO managed for us, uh, there were huge gains, I mean monumental gains in in productivity. These weren't just incremental small gains. Uh, They were huge. And it did enable our plants to survive. So that made me curious, um, which I followed up with a trip to the Shingo Prize in Lexington, Kentucky that year. Uh, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But that's how we became aware of the of the Toyota production system and the lean methodologies.
0: Yeah, and what was the timeline on that on that again?
1: That was in May of 2004. Okay. Um, I met a couple of lean administration consultants. Uh, we don't have any uh, manufacturing, and I really wasn't. Uh, Aware of the lean healthcare movement, although I subsequently did become much more aware of it. But I came back to uh, Anchorage very excited. Uh, we did schedule a consultant to come in and do one training, um, and uh, I had my staff do some distance delivery education, and and we began our path of trying to understand uh, what the lean methodologies were all uh, all about, and actually scheduled our first um, Kaizen event for one of our clinics in Port Graham. And, and although it was uh, a typical maiden effort uh, at a Kaizon it did give us a huge amount of insight uh, into management of, of a, a village-based clinic. Uh, the insights that we actually had were, number one, that um, most of the time your employees don't communicate with management. Uh, as a consequence, um, there are huge... Uh, problems typically with providing tools to the employees that allow them to do their work and most employees don't want to rock the boat. They're they're fearful about uh, management uh, meddling in the comfortable uh, circumstances that they've uh, usually set up um, in their workplace. Um, We really didn't uh, get much uh, traction until we uh, engaged a Lean Sensei, uh, Dr. Tom Jackson, to come up and, and teach us w- in a number of Kaizen. We, we, we budgeted for, and I'm, I'm real happy to say my board agreed to budget, a pretty substantial amount to conduct at least six week-long Kaizen uh, during that next fiscal year, which started October 1 of 2004 and ended uh, September 30 of 2005. That, that's when our learning really accelerated. And my role as a leader um, began to change uh, gradually, and that change is is continuing to this day it's uh, It's amazing how, if you truly embrace the lean methodologies, um, the role of leadership um, just transforms into something completely different from what you ever imagined it to be
0: yeah i mean l- looking back, what are a couple examples of that change in management approach, either things that you do differently or encourage other leaders in the organization to, uh, to do differently?
1: Well, here's one illustration that I believe um, captures the change, and it, it only happened uh, recently. Um, th- this is the first year that we have uh, knowingly um, and accurately engaged in the, in the process of Hoshin Conry. Um, Strategy deployment throughout the organization, and in in the process, as we were taught, uh, we have A3Ts that we that I'm obligated to prepare. Uh, and in my A3T, um, I state what I believe the the problem that I want to be addressed is. the The problem statement is pretty uh, familiar to lean practitioners, uh, and then. Um, I give some guidance to my executive staff by stating um, a target statement, what what I want to see in terms of achievement. Um, And we're taught that the target statement needs to be numerical, that we want an X percent improvement in a a certain part of our business. We want to reduce uh, the amount of time it takes us to do this particular process by X percent. Um, and I carried that out by beginning to define some of the solutions that I thought would address the target statement. And as I sat down in the first round of catchball with my five member executive team, we were about 30 minutes into the conversation, um, and one of my uh, division directors spoke up and said, uh, Patrick, you aren't supposed to be telling us the solutions. You are supposed to be setting the target, and then we will work in, uh, on the solutions based on, on our catchball with our staff uh, and looking at our resources. You really should leave the research and devising the solution to us. And I had to say, Mark, that it made a lot of sense um, that uh, I hired these people or kept them on when I got here because of their intelligence. And if anything, uh, when I set the target, my role should then be in utilizing my research skills developed as, as a faculty member and as an attorney to mentor them in how to come up with the problem, with the problem solutions. That's the big transformation. Uh, I am no longer holding hands. Uh, I'm setting goals. I'm setting targets. Uh, I am coaching. I'm mentoring. Uh, I am able to um, fulfill my roles as a strategic leader for the organization. In other words, I, I'm not so preoccupied with the day-to-day management, I am able to try and extend my, my view, my vision, my reach to um, 10, 15, 20 years out the road and try to uh, help guide an organization into a structure that will meet those goals uh, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Uh, and then the leadership role of interacting with uh, patients, with clients, with customers, with stakeholders, with board members, uh, and with uh, partners uh, now becomes a more significant part of my role. So it has been a huge transformation. Um, you know i'm I'm building a team of uh, five leaders who I hope, uh, I can extend in, into strategic leadership, into uh, governance leadership, and, and into uh, interactive leadership with the uh, people that we serve.
0: And the story you told me—that's absolutely a great example of um, you know, what we're taught about lean leadership. And I'm curious, also, if you were able to dust off um, uh, some of what you had learned or practiced before uh, with Dr. Deming's philosophy, because I think we have a lot of listeners. Uh, who, like myself, um, you know, all have a similar background and uh, a- appreciate the um, complementary nature of the Deming approach and, and lean. So I was, I was wondering if you have any examples of that that you could share as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Chugachmute no longer does individual employee performance evaluations, and, and my board agreed to remove that from, from our personnel policy. And that's specifically because, uh, as I've explained to my staff, um, we want to work in terms of systems and processes, not in terms of individual interactions with those systems and processes, except through the whole concept of standard work. And what we've um, tried to implement um, and are still in the process of implementing uh, is a an organization-wide value map that focuses around the client, around the patient, and around the customer and their journey through us, Uh, and then looking at all of the uh, supportive functions that we have. uh, The the term that I keep hearing most often is uh, elimination of functional silos. Uh, We try to show... Every employee that they are integral to every service that we provide to every customer, or client, or patient that we serve. So we have uh, a language and culture program, for example. And people may say, "Well, how does that fit into healthcare?" Well, it fits into healthcare because we've been able to adopt a holistic approach to healthcare, where we not, where we don't just react to the condition that the patient brings to our healthcare providers. Uh, we're beginning to understand that looking to the behavioral health of the patient is critical to how they deal with their physical health, uh, and language and culture services are a component of that. Um, so, you know, Dr. Deming uh, talked about um, the team, uh, he talked about how you don't individually exhort people to do better. Uh, instead, you improve the systems, and you define the role of each of our people within those systems, uh, and, and how they interact with all of their coworkers to provide the best possible and highest quality service they can. So we know that um, uh, if, if we can um, convince our employees that they're a part of a process and the process needs to be improved and they need to be a part of that improvement, um, we get much better results. We have implemented this by a couple of things that uh, that I learned in my first um, six months of being the executive director at Chigachmute. Uh, The first was that there is no blame in a lean organization. Uh, and our leaders are not supposed to use the concept of shame to encourage behavioral change. Uh, so we immediately began talking about Chugachme being a no-blame, no-shame environment. Uh, then we realized that um, even though we're no-blame and no-shame, uh, we, we have to understand the facts uh... and we can't be judgmental about the facts uh, we can't accept the first little snippet of fact that comes in and say "Oh, this must have happened we really need to be scientific about it uh... so what uh, all of a sudden comes up as we begin to go into a no blame no shame fact-based and non-judgmental environment is um, process improvement uh... development of standard work and then the whole concept of training our people mm-hmm. um, because uh, if they don't know, um, I mean, already uh, I've, I've discussed a whole lot of concepts, and uh, that our employees need to know and understand, uh, but even more so that they need to begin uh, adapting to through behavioral changes uh, in their own life and in their own uh, reaction and responsibilities in the workplace. Uh, so I found Dr. Deming's uh, principles um, applicable throughout. Um, I'm not coming in and telling individuals that you can do better, you know you can do better. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: uh, we're showing them how to do things better and we're training them. Um, and then we're showing that their performance is dependent on other people's performances. So it's in their best interest to make sure that all of their co-workers um, perform defect-free work and when the handoffs of work occur, that there are no defects that cross and that we have the smallest Our shortest possible um, process. Uh, We no longer, for example, have a 144-day new recruitment and hiring process. We average about 32, 33 days. So a lot of the principles for uh, Dr. Deming just fit right in with everything that we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I'm I'm curious in particular to follow up a little bit on um, the idea you talk about getting rid of individual um annual performance reviews because that that's something um, that that I blogged about not long ago a, a professor from UCLA wrote a column in the Wall Street Journal making very you know very, very strongly worded case for getting rid of annual performance reviews how they're they're harmful to organizations it's not the right thing uh, you know it's harmful to society i mean he really made uh, a very strong case that was reminiscent of of Dr. Deming, but it it, it still seems so rare when you find an organization who has taken that leap. And I'm curious, was that a harder sell to the board or or was it a harder sell with the employees? I'm I'm, I'm curious how people reacted to the idea of that.
1: You know, I really didn't see much of a reaction. Um, One of the problems with being the leader in any organization that um, most employees don 't uh, talk to you about their opinions or their or their problems or the concerns and issues that they have, uh, and they don 't reveal to you the complaints that come out of the patient 's customers or or patients that you might serve so i didn 't hear a lot um, and when we implemented that change, it was before I had established my network of uh, of uh, sources um, Today, I can tell you uh, very quickly when when there is an issue or a problem in the organization uh, because I have a number of people that understand the lean concepts and, and will reveal problems and issues to me. Uh, we're not quite at the same level with our patients and our clients and our customers yet, but uh, I'm confident we're going to get there. But when um, I proposed it to the board, it didn't take very long for them to accept my recommendation, and I did outline a number of what I thought were good arguments. Um, I, I used uh, some of the more obvious arguments. The, the first one being that if, if uh, the day after the employee's performance review, there is a, an error in in the part of the process that that employee you just reviewed is involved in you may not discuss that error with the employee for another 12 months. Um, I explained to the board that the process that we'd like to have in place is first of all making sure that when we analyze the process uh, that we gain all of the quality improvements that we can um, and that we shorten the process and that we establish a training uh, system and a training to standard work system so that uh, first of all, I don't think that mistake will be made. Now, Dr. Deming cited uh, 94% of errors uh, and defects occurring in a system uh, coming from process problems as opposed to employee problems. So um, I adopted that approach, explained it to the board, and, and they approved it. Um, I really didn't have too many difficulties from existing employees, I made it real clear that what we wanted to do was to be fact based, non judgmental non-blaming, non-shaming. And when we come to you with a defect that occurred in the process, it's not for the purpose of slapping your hands. It's for the purpose of determining your level of knowledge, using that knowledge to analyze that section of the process, improve it, and then figuring out how we can build quality in right at that point. And we want to do it today. Uh, as soon as the defect happens, we don't want to wait for another month or two or, or 12 months before we, we fix that. So right. the imp- Most employees bought into that, at least the ones that I had regular um, interaction with. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, The other
1: part that they really enjoyed and that my managers enjoyed is that we no longer had to have that one Um, sit-down. I'm not sure how other leaders feel, but you figure if you're going to have a performance evaluation, you should have some performance problems that you document in order to try and show that you're paying attention to your employee. Uh, and then to have some sort of corrective plan for those few little problems that you have to, or that you feel obligated to identify, and of course that makes everyone feel uncomfortable. Well, what do you mean I didn't get an A in everything? Well, I, I thought you had these particular issues. Well, why didn't you talk to me about them when they were happening, and then I could have done something? And everyone walks away uh, unhappy. Uh, but uh, when you eliminate performance evaluations and and uh, you in well. And I think, as a part of performance evaluations, it just encourages your employees to hide very process defects that you want to encourage to come out, so you can fix them.
0: Right.
1: Uh, so I, I just found so many reasons for uh, getting rid of performance evaluations, and um, the, the, the same is true. And um, you know, if you have an exemplary employee, you don't want to wait twelve months to tell them that they're doing a great <laughs> job. You want to build it into your system so that. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do you come by and uh, well let me let me take that back you don 't want to identify the defects you want your staff to, mm-hmm. but what you want to do is to be able to uh go up and and uh, compliment that staff and just say you know you 're doing wonderful work uh, we 're asking our employees now to document uh process improvements. Uh, When you see those, you'd like to be able to go down and say, uh, Mary, I think you did a wonderful job in identifying uh, this process defect and reacting to it. Um, It just builds a different way for employees to react and respond to problems as Mm -hmm. opposed to wanting to hide it from you so that it doesn't get into their performance review um, or or to bury it or or to try to fix it on their own without anyone knowing about it. Uh, If they feel free to surface those, um, you're going to fix them a lot faster, and they're not going to have those problems in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, uh, and, and I think those are great lessons for anyone listening. You know, not only from healthcare, but you know, I think any organization that, that's trying to embrace lean. Or Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast for lean news and commentary, updated daily visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.